Aren't you glad you're listening? Because if you're a Milton Berle fan, you're hearing a whole bunch of really cool stuff this week on Hitting the Mark with me, Jeffrey Mark, and Ray Carr and Cindy Ribble. It's a mad, 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 mad world. It has so many stories around it. I wish a good book would be written about the making of that film. It starts off because Stanley Kramer, this genius, genius director, had done two big, heavy-duty, hard-hitting, dramatic films with Spencer Tracy that were huge hits. And Spencer said, you know, we need to do a comedy here. We can't, I, I don't have the energy to do another big, heavy thing. And it, all right, let, then let's make the funniest film ever made. Spencer wanted to show people he could still do comedy, and Stanley wanted to prove that he could direct a really successful comedy. So if those of you who don't know about this movie, it's a gold hunt, basically. A bunch of people watch a criminal die. He confesses to them he's hidden money someplace. Mm-hmm. And although they could have cooperated together and gotten the money, they all got greedy. And the film is about their trials and tribulations traveling from where the accident was to where the money is and what happens to them. And what a cast. Mm-hmm. It stars Spencer Tracy. Spencer Tracy is the police chief who is or chief detective who is trying to figure all of this out and recover the money legally. And Milton Berle, Buddy Hackett, Sid Caesar, Mickey Rooney, Ethel Merman. Everybody on camera is somebody famous. The smallest little parts are people who are famous. Jack Benny and Jerry Lewis do little cameos in this film. And the uncut version was the first film done in Cinerama. And it ran for almost three hours and was an enormous, enormous hit. And it ran for years afterwards in cut down versions all over the country. It is, I think, the funniest film ever made. And here is Milton playing Ethel Merman's (laughs) son-in-law. Now, first of all, they're the same age. So it's because in, in the story is he's married a much younger woman. And Ethel Merman plays this shrewish mother-in-law because she's probably a shrew, but also her, her much older than daughter, son-in-law, has had a nervous breakdown and has lost all their money. Yeah. And as is revealed during the film, Milton's character was found screaming in the streets before he got help. And this car ride was supposed to be a thing to calm his nerves. Instead, it becomes this treasure hunt. And Merman, it's an amazing thing. Her films had not always been all that good, but she steals every scene she is in. And Milton is so good in this thing because he plays it straight. He doesn't play Milton Burrow. He plays the character. He lets the story give him his laughs. And he's very, very good in it. Merman and he had this running rivalry during the making of the film. So all of the people after Spencer Tracy got alphabetical billing and the exact same money so that there'd be no problems with the cast. Well, you know, Merman would like dig at him. She'd over her shoulder so Milton can hear it. 
Well, it's a good thing I got special featured billing and more money than anybody else, which would drive Milton crazy because how dare you? You know, I'm Milton Burrow. She carried a bag that had glass beads in it. She wore, every, you know, the, all of this movie takes place in one day. So the costumes are the same throughout the film as they deteriorate as these people go through their gyrations to get the money, but it's the same stuff. So Merman's wearing the same dress and the same glass beads around her neck. And she carried two extra pairs of them in case one broke over the many months of filming in the California desert, not far from where I'm sitting right now. Mm. And she was supposed to beat him over the head with this purse, but it had these heavy beads in it. So Milton got back at Merman and in the film, mom, stop, stop, you're hurting me. And they all cut. And he goes, you hurt me, you've hurt me. And he brings, feel this, feel this. And there's a lump on the top of his head to make Merman feel guilty for what she had done. Milton had that lump since he was a little boy, but he used it to get back at Merman. Mm. Back and forth, back and forth. Uh, Ethel had to go get some dentistry done. And Milton said to her, oh, Ethel, uh, I hope you're not using Dr. So-and-so. You know, somebody died in his chair. And of course it was the one Milton Merman was going just to jab at each other because they were good friends. Right. And this is what good friends sometimes do. The film took almost a year to complete. And uh, as far as a comedy performance goes in a film, it may be Milton's best work. Yeah. Released in 1963. And uh, uh, with enormous publicity, uh, Jerry Lewis had a two hour variety show at that time. And one episode was just around that film and everybody who was on it. It got enormous publicity, and it, it was a big, 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 big hit. Yeah, I mean, the opening scene with Peter Falk and Norman Fell, the you know the two cops when the car went off, you know, they kicked the can as they say like early on in the movie. So, you know, it, it starts off with that, and it just gets better and better. And you're right, Je Jeffrey. It was probably one of the greatest comedies of all time. Mm -hmm. It is. It is absolutely the biggest hit film Milton was ever associated with. Uh, he did a film right the first summer after the first season of Texaco Star Theater with Burt Lahr about uh, a vaudeville type performer who's on his way down, that was Burt, and a rising younger one, that was Milton. The film didn't do very well, perhaps because people could see Milton for free on television, but it's another one where he played it for laughs when he needed to. He played a version of himself, the, the brash, younger comic. But the, the dramatic scenes are wonderful. It deserved to be much better remembered. I don't know that ever, it ever got rerun anywhere. I saw it once on Turner Classic Movies, and I've, I've never seen it again. So Milton could be effective, but he was really more effective in film playing dramatic things than he was playing the comedy. He, he needed maybe the same way Lucille Ball needed an audience to really, really be funny. Yeah. Well, I agree with you. And it's a mad, bad, bad, bad world. He was excellent in that. And you're right. He didn't have to he just play the character. And that character in and of itself was very funny and it fit into the puzzle very well. Jonathan Winters, too, did a great job. That was Jonathan's first film and it scared the hell out of him. Because He'd never acted in front of film cameras before. He'd done nightclub work. 
and he'd done live television. He, he'd even had a, a couple of series of his own in the 50s. But this was a new thing for him. For, and for someone who had mental illness issues, that kind of stress is not very good. Uh, but, but Jonathan really shines because, he again, he plays it straight. He isn't funny unless the script calls for him to be funny. Right. And you get his sympathy because Jonathan's character is very much put upon. And there's a whole wonderful scene of him losing his temper finally right. and demolishing a gas station right. that <laughs> is, is not to be missed. Everybody in that film got a chance to shine. Everybody got a moment where they were just wonderful. Uh, it's, it's too bad. Milton's career at that point, to get back to Milton, was kind of edgy. The huge success he had on television. The Texaco Star Theater grew and developed from a raw, vaudeville kind of show more into what we think of as a television variety show. There was more script to it. There was, more, there was a storyline every week to the show. Eventually, Texaco dropped out. Buick took over. So from 1948 until about 1956, 57, there were weekly or three times a month Milton Berle variety shows on NBC. NBC coveted his being a part of the family so much, they gave him a 30-year contract, $100,000 guaranteed every year, whether he worked or not, to keep him off of the other networks. The only thing he did under the initial NBC contract was Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz had a similar contract with CBS. And both networks allowed Milton to do an hour-long Lucy special, and Lucy and Desi did an hour-long Milton Burrow special. The two networks let their stars trade on a one-time basis. But the problem was, as happens to all television shows, eventually the ratings on the Milton Burrow show began to slip. How many times can you be on 39 weeks a year and do something different? Well, now Milton is stuck. He took a little time off and then came back with uh, the Craft Music Hall, which was a half hour version of a variety show in color. That lasted about a season, a season and a half. But he was still tied to NBC and as Milton Berle fans know, the nadir of all of this was they had him hosting jackpot bowling. Hmm. Now, I'll tell you the truth. I own copies of about a dozen of them. He's hysterical on them. Hmm. He does a monologue as if it's a variety show. There is championship bowling. He interviews the winner and does more comedy. It's actually a very entertaining show. He's in his element. It's live. He's in front of an audience. He's being funny. And he doesn't have to deal with anybody else who's a performer. Just him. But even that dies. So finally, Milton went to NBC and they rewrote the contract. Less money each year. But he was now able to appear on any network he chose to be on. And, and he became a fairly major player on the television variety shows of the 1960s and 70s. He came back with his own series in 1966 for ABC, the Milton Berle Show. It didn't go, it didn't run. He tried. He even had Batman and Robin on his show. He had Lucille Ball on his show. It just, wrong network, wrong time, wrong night of the week. 
So he never again had his own regular show. But he was constantly busy playing Las Vegas, playing nightclubs, being a guest, doing talk shows, being on the Hollywood Palace, being on the Hollywood Squares. He worked. He worked constantly. Uh, his home life had settled. Sarah had passed away. His wife, Ruth, was a force to be reckoned with. Ruth did not suffer anybody gladly. Uh, and she, she kind of took over for Sarah. She ran his life, but in a much happier way. They had a, they had a happy marriage. And, and Milton, Milton was having a good life, making lots of money, working as often as he wanted to, a happy life at home. And uh, right when Lucille Ball got sick in the late 80s, Ruth was also sick. In fact, Milton was visiting Ruth and Lucille at Cedar sinai Hospital when the 10-day the, the, the period right before Lucille died, Ruth died at the same time. So Milton had a one-two punch. He lost a dear friend. And if we're going to be really honest, he dated Miss Ball in the early 30s before anybody knew who she was. When she was still a model, she and Milton had an affair. So they've been friends a very, very long time. And Milton was very fond of Desi Arnaz and an admirer of his talents. In fact, he had Desi direct one of his shows. So to lose his wife and then lose a close friend like Lucille, that, that, that kind of set him back on his heels for a while. Yeah. Did he ever have any trouble with any other vices? I know he didn't drink very much. Um, and I know the only thing I ever read about him was that, you know, the gambling was a little bit of an issue at times. He gambled. He didn't gamble as much as Phil Silvers did, let's say. He didn't lose his fortune to gambling, but he gambled too much. Uh, and his scars. Milton found a way. I can tell you this now because it's so many years after the fact. Milton found a way. Milton loved the big, long, thick Cuban cigars. And then after the Bay of Pigs happened in the 1960s, all imports from Cuba were cut off until very recently. But Milton actually went to President Kennedy before President Kennedy died and said, I need my Cuban cigars. They figured out a way for Milton's contact in Cuba to mail them to a different country than have that country mail them here. So Milton had his Cuban cigars and I can attest to this because I used to smoke them with him. Uh, if you were at the right place at the right time when Milton had a few on him and he wanted to go upstairs to the smoking room and smoke, you went with because you got to smoke a real Cuban cigar. Boy, were they good. Just, this, just the aroma. I didn't inhale them because my lungs couldn't take it. But just having that in your mouth and the aroma uh, of the smoke, it was like smelling... You know, like a, like a barbecue and a, a good barbecue sauce is on a piece of meat and it's barbecuing and the mm. scent of it is just mm, num, 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 num. That's how the Cuban cigars smelled. Mm. He had his cigars. I'm sure they couldn't have helped his health any. But other than that, I don't think, I think the only vice he had was audiences. The audience was his vice. Performing was his vice. He didn't know how to do anything else. He had no hobbies. His whole life was about the next show, like, like many performers in show business. 
I mean, he never fantasized. He never fantasized about, say, being a professional bowler, golfer, anything like that. Why? Why would he? He was a multimillionaire from the work he did. He was world famous. He knew presidents and queens and kings. He was greatly admired. It was what he was born for. I couldn't tell you. Again, I, I don't mean to put me on the same level as Milton. I couldn't tell you what else I would want to do if I wasn't in show business. Through the years, I've done other things because I had to earn some money once in a while. Things are a little slow. You have to bring in some dough from someplace. But not that I'd want to do. There's nothing I want to do besides show business. Other than love my kids and my grandchildren and love my friends. But I, I don't have any real hobbies. My hobby is show business. My work is show business. My friends are in show business. If you get me talking, I'm talking about show business. Uh, and that's how Milton was. You, you weren't going to have a long talk with him uh, uh, about uh, you know, the, the, the cost of imports from England or the unfair trade practices of Mongolia. He didn't care. He cared about show business. And if you knew the business, the history of the business, the minutia of the business, he loved spending time with you. That's how he and I connected. Yeah, most teachers have said, if, if you want to be an actor, they, they'll say something like, don't do it unless you can't imagine yourself doing anything else, because that's how difficult it is. But and if you like it that much, you don't care. Not just how difficult it is, but your competition wants yeah. it more than anything. If they want it more than anything and you don't, they're going to wipe you off the planet. So you're wasting yeah. your time unless you really, you know, Milton's a great example of this. You have to have the talent. You have to have a talent for having the talent. It's two different things. Mm -hmm. You've got to have a work ethic that would, would leave a professional baseball player panting and weak. And you have to have faith that if you work really, really hard, open every door you can, take every opportunity that comes your way, it will eventually lead to something. In Milton's case, it happened to him ridiculously young, like it did for me. There's one other thing you need to. Johnny Price, who used to run Music Carnival here years ago, once said, you got to have more nerve than an impacted wisdom tooth. And I said, I like that. <laughs> Ain't it the truth? You, you, you have to have confidence in yourself. Yeah. Milton had that confidence. He knew that if you put a spotlight on him and it put a microphone in his hand, with no notice, he could just get up there and entertain. Mm -hmm. On Hitting the Mark this week, we're talking about Milton Burrow, and I'm here with Ray and Cindy bringing back happy memories of my friend.